Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. And those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. In today's episode, we will discuss the intersection of training and business intelligence. And this episode is sponsored by Administrate. We're pleased to have with us today, John Peebles, the CEO of Administrate, an ed tech infrastructure platform that provides configurable training management solutions for enterprises across the globe. Based in Edinburgh, Scotland, with offices in Montana, USA, and Beirut, Lebanon, Administrate is a diverse, creative software company born from within the training industry that focuses on creating the ultimate human organization and culture, practice, and product. Now in its sixth year, Administrate is proud to support the training teams of Fortune 100 companies in the U.S., EU, and EMEA regions with a team of 100 talented professionals focusing on creating and delivering learning and development technology innovation. Prior to Administrate, Mr. Peebles helped found Fort Lauderdale-based Century Data Systems, where he served as Chief Information Officer and VP of Operations while it grew to more than $30 million in revenue within five years. He is passionate about education, teamwork, technology, and mental health in the workplace, and often speaks on these subjects around the world. John, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Um, so we're here to discuss business intelligence. Uh, I've heard that phrase lots of times, and I have a inkling of what it might be, but maybe you could just uh, define it for us. Sure. And I got to be honest, I slightly cringe whenever I hear the phrase business intelligence. Uh, <laughs> and the reason for that is I went to school, uh, college or university, as they say here in Scotland, to study as a computer scientist. And so it's a, it's a broad term that covers a lot of things and the techie deep within me somewhere just revolts a little bit when you hear this phrase thrown around. Often <laughs> the, the idea of buzzword bingo comes to mind. So, but what we're, what we're really talking about in terms of training, HR, education, the things that we think about a lot in, with regards to business intelligence is kind of going beyond the simple activity-based metrics that tend to dominate within the learning landscape and the learning product landscape and trying to find deeper trends that are more meaningful or may be hidden from first glance and using those to really drive business results or get the results that you need from the training that you're trying to deliver. When you say activity-based metrics, uh, what do you mean? So a lot of times when you start thinking about how to measure a training program, you think in terms of, well, how many learners did I get? How far did they progress? What did they learn? What were their test scores? Things of that nature. And all that stuff's important. But the analogy that I like to use is maybe bring it into the real world. I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, and we've probably all heard of, or at least maybe seen the movie Moneyball. And Moneyball is kind of the first real application of deeper analytics to a game that a lot of us understand as Americans. And, you know, what they were trying to do is go beyond the stats of things like batting average and, you know, on-base percentage and so on, and look into, you know, collections of metrics or collections of stats that would help them better value a player. And I think the same principle applies with learning programs and training programs. It's how do we move beyond this idea of, you know, the, the student got this score on this test and got this far along in this program 
and really start measuring more deeply the idea of how did I affect my my goal as an organization? You know, how did the business benefit from the training that was delivered and how can I measure that and how can I almost prove that to myself or or to my stakeholders? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things to me about, you know, training, we did a training survey not too long ago and we asked how organizations uh, understood how well they did. And it was always based on, almost everybody said it was based on feedback from the trainees, which seems like a very skewed way to get information because, you know, they're going to say what they think they're supposed to say, or, you know, maybe they won't accurately represent themselves. Absolutely. And I mean, this is, this is hard, right? I mean, (laughs) a lot of us just have the tools that we have and feedback is one of the best ways to measure uh, when that's pretty much all you can measure. And so really, for us at Administrate, one of the things we've been thinking very deeply about over the last few years is how do we break out of this cycle of, I just have these very learner-centric, almost surfacy. Uh, I don't mean that in a pejorative term, but just surfacy metrics. And how do we correlate learner progress, instructor progress, whatever it is, to the broader business goals? Uh, because that's when you can actually start looking at trends you know, one of the examples that I like to use is from my my high school. I grew up overseas in China and went to an international school. And that meant you kind of had some unique challenges. You had students of varying levels. Um, a lot of these kids were learning English for the first time. That'd be the first time they'd ever been in an English speaking school. Then you had folks who were native English speakers. And it was difficult as a teacher, right, to both teach to a class that had widely different levels of language ability but also it was difficult to measure. And so Mm. what would happen is this calibration was really hard. And that, that meant that, you know, sometimes I could get away with turning in a pretty crummy paper because it looked good, relatively speaking. And so the (laughs) teachers were trying, my mom was uh, one of these teachers and she realized what was going on. And so what (laughs) happened was they started actually collaborating across classes with all the teachers together and they would, they devise this kind of like grading system that transcended just the individual class. And so, you know, your English paper would feed into your social studies paper and so on. And that's where they started seeing patterns and they could more accurately measure and calibrate to each student's ability. And that meant that I couldn't mail it in, you know, quite so much. Um, (laughs) And so it's that, it's that kind of very simple thing that requires a lot more work, frankly, and is a lot more challenging, is difficult to scale, that we're trying to, to help uh, HR and training and learning professionals be able to do in a, in a quick, iterative, easy way. Yeah, because I, I think probably one of the things that some of our listeners are probably thinking right now is, well, we only have so many, you know, we do our training and we get our reports and put them together and that's what we have. I mean, what else is there to gather and how and what does that even look like? Absolutely. I mean, this is this is something, again, that is not straightforward, but uh, really, when you start going the, down the buzzword bingo route of business intelligence, uh, in, in, all, in all cases, you need a spot to be able to hold this data that you want to collect and you want to interrogate. And so that system of record is something that I think uniquely is missing from the classic learning technology landscape. 
uh, if you look around, there's loads and loads of LMSs, something like 1300 uh, when somebody last counted. And they're very learner centric. And most organizations, most of our customers have maybe five, six, a dozen different learning management systems that have all come in through different regimes, different problems are trying to solve and so on. And so, you know, yeah, you're, you might be collecting this data, but then how do you relate it across systems? How do you relate it? And so on. And so that's where, uh, administrate our thesis is we want to be that data model, that system of record that you're, that's complementing your learning products because you probably have a number of them and can actually hold that data as, as kind of step one. And it might, not just be your learning products. Hopefully what our real goal is, is to interface in with whatever the main business system of your organization is. A lot of cases, you know, that might be a CRM system, but if you're a manufacturer, that could be a system like an MRP system or, uh, you know, some sort of SAP type thing. And if we can interface into those core business systems, and then, then we can start contrasting and uh, looking at the data in, in a much deeper, more meaningful way. Could you give us an example of some uh, sort of outside of the box or, or not so common types of data that your organization looks for when they're trying to put together something like this? Yeah, I'll give you two examples maybe from two pretty different customers. Uh, the first is a software company called Fordrock. And they've grown very, very quickly. They've been a customer of ours really from when they got started. And they kind of have uh, the challenge of they're an open source software products company, which means you can download their software for free. But if you want to buy a support contract, you know, you, you pay them and enterprises do that because they provide identity management. If you're logging in to the BBC, for example, over here in Europe, you're using identity that has been validated by their, by their software. And so uh, training for them is a, is a really important thing. And what, what they needed is to be able to interface with their main CRM, in this case, Salesforce, and pull in data that was relevant to the training team, and then also hold data that was relevant to the training team. Things like dietary requirements and so on, that's kind of, you know, not, it doesn't sound important. And so the main corporate CRM would not hmm. want to hold that data, but it is important if you're a vegetarian, for example, and you don't want to get the wrong meal. Right. Uh, in those cases, if you don't have a system that can hold that information, thus a spreadsheet is born, right? And um, and so that that's like a simple example of holding data. But what they started to do is they started to share back their training records with the rest of the organization. And what they found was that training the engagement with training or the uptake of training or the progression of training became a really, really reliable predictor of customer churn. In other words, if a customer was going to cancel, then they would stop doing the training. They would stop advancing along training. They would stop buying more training. And by providing a re- the renewals team within Fordrock access to this information, uh, the, it really changed the game and helped them solve a real critical problem for a subscription business, which is cancellations. Uh, the second example is more manufacturing based. We had a, a customer, Brunswick. Uh, they they have a number of different boat brands. In this case, it was Boston Whaler, which is uh, inexplicably located in North Florida. Uh, and you know, <laughs> we we go there and and visit, and they start talking to us about how uh, administrate. And after the installation of our software, it had massively reduced their manufacturing errors. 
And I got to tell you, you know, as CEO of the company, I mean, that, that sounded really good, but I was also a little bit surprised. This was kind of earlier on the journey to our thesis that we've been talking a lot more over the last few years. And really what they had done is they had manufacturing software that would basically do scheduling of uh, employees to go out on the, the line and build a boat. And they interface that with the training records held within administrate and other systems. And what would happen is if you or I were up for a shift to be scheduled at the, the factory, all things being equal, they would schedule you because you had done better or progress further along the training that was required. And then once you showed up on the assembly line, you would only be able to access jobs like and say, I don't know, install this propeller uh, that you had been trained for. And then when you were installing the propeller, they would have the actual training materials, PDFs, manuals, whatever it was available, pulled right out of administrate in their our document management system right there on the factory floor so they could refer to it. And those kind of three simple touch points with like a main business system that is very, I would say, non-traditional in the learning ecosystem meant that they significantly reduced manufacturing errors. And it sounds obvious in retrospect, but that's the type of thing that we really look for is what is the problem that the organization is trying to solve? In their case, they were trying to grow very quickly, double in size in one year, and they wanted to maintain or improve quality. And so that's when we find that to be very satisfying. Yeah, um, that's very interesting because, you know, part of what we do here is we also have a whole, besides HR focus, we have a safety focus, you know, and me and my colleagues, one of the things we always talk about is the problem with safety professionals is that they're so often in the field and we have some similar stuff when it comes to manufacturing, uh, construction, things like getting content onto a mobile device or getting content onto a tablet is critical when it comes to people that are in the field because they aren't at a computer all day. It's the, the idea of someone, you know, on the manufacturing floor, having these documents available to them in an, you know, as a, not an afterthought or like, Hey, just use your phone. Um, that's a really great concept. And it's a, a kind of an interesting solution. Yeah. And it also just subtly reinforces the importance of training, right? Because if it's right there, if you know that schedules are being determined based on it and you know that, you know, it's right there and you, you can refer to it, it just really reinforces this stuff is there to help you not to be yet another thing that's annoying and you know, their system you have to log into and, you know, nobody likes to feel that way. Yeah, and it occurs to me that sort of inherent in that particular solution at the boat manufacturing company would be you could really easily identify where you're lacking in training and what skills are not there. If you only have one guy who can install props, then you know, here's an area where we can focus. And I can only imagine how massively valuable that would be to an organization. Yeah, absolutely. It, it also helped them reduce uh, an involuntary employee turnover. And it's this really kind of almost insidious thing uh, that was happening, which is they are hiring folks and, you know, it's probably like most manufacturing environments. I may have worked as a line worker at a Mercedes plant. If I change jobs and go to a Honda plant, okay, I'm still doing more or less the same thing, but the factories are going to be configured completely differently, right? So I have to be trained no matter what. And they would have good people showing up that fit their 
their criteria, going through a training program. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was they would get to a fiberglass section, you know, how to fiberglass this hole and they would fail. And for, from Boston Whalers perspective, you know, that was just part of the normal thing. You know, some people are good at fiberglassing and some people aren't, and some people need a few more sessions in order to get it down, particularly if you've never done that before. But the, the learners were saying, oh my goodness, I'm, you know, on week two of my probation period. Uh, I, I totally failed that. Everybody else did better and they would just quit. And so what happened was by being able to see and correlate, oh, wow, these people that are good are quitting. Where and why are, are they quitting with the with the training records? They could say, huh, everybody's quitting after fiberglass. Then they started asking why, and then they started interviewing these folks. And then they figured out, we just need to actually set the the stage a bit better and say, look, it's normal to fail this. In fact, we'll even have a separate track where if you didn't get it the first time, you'll go down this other additional, more intensive track of training. And, and that just really, really helped them with their recruiting efforts. That's very interesting. Um, one of the things that, as you're talking about all this, that occurred to me is that, you know, I was at Sherm uh, Expo a few years ago, and they're talking about this sea change in HR solutions, which is before it was all about having a solution that does everything or just having a solution for everything, you know, for every part of your job. And, you know, you mentioned there's 1500 learning management systems out there or, uh, you know, training systems. And there's thousands and tens of thousands of different HR softwares that all do so many different things. And what they were talking about was the next innovation is going to be integration of those systems and systems that can capture, really can take any kind of system and integrate it. You know, and what you're talking about with your software is something where you basically have very bravely said, I can integrate with anything. Yeah. What's that been like? <laughs> well, it hasn't been easy. <laughs> uh, and but it, but it has gotten easier over time. And the, I think the reason is, is because we've just very specifically said our goal is to be infrastructure. And sometimes I joke and I just say, you know, we make boring business software, right? It's, it's just, <laughs> there's nothing sexy about it. Uh, but what you can achieve with it, it gets us very excited. And w in order to do that, just to get technical, we, we actually had to make a, a pretty big shift uh, in 2016. And we said, we are going to become an API first company. And by that, it just meant that we had to embrace this idea that the data model and the interface with that data model is really our goal. And yeah, we mm -hmm. want to have a nice UX and we want to have opinions about things and we want to be good. You know, we're really good in logistics and scheduling and resource management and stuff like that, but we are never going to be the best thing in all things. And, and actually we want customers in particular to have the freedom to experiment, the freedom to change out systems or have multiple systems, you know, the right tool for the right job. And as organizations evolve, the tool set will evolve, you know, over the life of a customer relationship like Fordrock, they've gone through a number of different tools as they have grown and evolved. And we, we think that's a, that's a feature uh, of, of you know, a well-functioning platform. And so by making this shift to be API first, it meant we had to really retool how we were building, how we were thinking about our product and so on. And that then set us up for some of these successes where now, you know, you, you 
we have out of the box integrations, but a big part of our implementation process is just understanding the broader tech stack, making sure we can plug into it and then being able to do that and deliver on that. And, and, you know, the API is the geeky, exciting bits maybe for people who are technical, but actually non-technical people can, can look at our API, look at our developer portal and actually start to see, wow, you know, I get to access the guts of this platform, just like any engineer would. And just like the engineers that work for us do. And, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a kind of an interesting road, but it, you know, it's not easy, but it becomes a lot easier when that's your primary focus. And that's where I think we, we are pretty different from those 14 or 1500 products out there in the market, uh, because they're, they've done a great job focusing on the learner and that's just not our focus. Yeah. I mean, it seems like when we interview, when we, when I interview training experts and when we do, um, training surveys that we do somewhat frequently, you can offer people as much training as you want. Um, you can be as detailed with it. You can have thousands of courses, but if you don't have a way to, to manage it, and then I think even much more importantly, if you don't have a way to check in on people later on, which according to our research, most people don't check in on the initial training they've given. You literally lack the ability to know whether it worked or not. Never mind whether it did work or not. You can't even know that you don't know whether it worked or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is a super, super common problem. And it, again, it's not easy to solve when you just have a learning management system and maybe a survey tool. Uh, that is a very difficult thing to, to actually grapple with. Um, and, you know, for, for us, you know, just getting all the data in one platform, that's kind of step one. Step two is then, okay, let's, let's figure out what problems we're, we're trying to solve here and let's start interrogating the data. And I, you know, I think that is another huge missing piece from most learning professionals toolkits is this ability to be able to just almost effortlessly, or at least in very quick, uh, you know, iterations, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, run a report, you run the report, you're going to get a lot more questions usually, at least I do, uh, as to why, why is this that way? And then you, you maybe add a constraint or you add a field or get more data and then you run it again. And it's that type of interrogation of the data that is just so difficult to do if you're mired in spreadsheets or you don't have all of your stuff in, in one spot. And uh, it's a systems problem. It's not a, you know, I never meet learning professionals that aren't up for this. The, the problem is they're just held back by the, by the lack of a system. Perhaps we've covered this a little bit, but before we go into the details of how, how a training department or a training leader might, might implement a system like yours, how would they understand that there's a need for something like that? Or what, what would they be seeing in their organization that would lead them to the conclusion that something needs to be different? That's a great question. Uh, for me, I think, you know, one of the things that I think is very difficult when you are a leader in, in a training or learning function is being able to justify budget and being able to feel like you are helping to move the needle on whatever the goals of the organization are. And, you know, we, we see customers that have goals of like, we want to, we want to double our sales or we want to grow into this new market or we want to launch a new product. A lot of times 
most people around the table, the leadership table, have a very clearly defined mental model of how they want to engage with that challenge. You know, marketing knows how to market and what to do. And the product folks know to build something and the salespeople know to start selling. And you kind of get around to the training team and they're maybe living more in the world of compliance or onboarding or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do they move the needle and how do they demonstrate they're going to move the needle? Because by doing something new, maybe a new initiative or whatever, it's going to cost money and time probably. And, and then how do they justify that? And so for us, it's, it's really just about, you know, can you confidently answer that question and tie it back to whatever the goal is of the organization? And if the answer is no, or if it takes a lot of time and work, that's probably something that, that you should think about. And that, and that probably means there's an issue somewhere along the line uh, that could maybe be solved by, by having a platform. Would you think, say that there's anything, you know, a large portion of our listenership is uh, departments of one, smaller HR teams. They probably don't even have a training team. Um, and, or if they do, it's the same person. It's their HR person. You know, what advice would you have for them that, you know, how would you help them understand how to even get started or how to frame, frame their training in such a way that they could eventually benefit from something like what you offer? Yeah. I mean, so obviously the value of having a platform kind of goes up significantly when you've got a larger training team and a lot more resources and so on that, that you need to manage. A lot of folks can get by, you know, as a, as a sole uh, one person band or whatever it is. Uh, and they don't need, you know, huge systems. And we actually do turn away people that uh, are just not at the right stage, but I think hmm. it's just, it's just more about okay, is, is the goal over the next, you know, two, three, five years to stay a department or a team of one, or is it to become a team of five and what's driving that, you know, are you trying to sell courses and become a revenue, uh, generation generating center? Are you, is the organization to be growing? Is there, you know, what is the driver between, uh, now and, and the future? And, you know, what, what we have seen is that it's remarkable how quickly training operations start to break down and begin to fail to mm. scale, if you will. Um, you know, you can get by with adding maybe another course or two, maybe some, maybe a bunch of e-learning. But if all of a sudden you start needing to put through, you know, hundreds of learners when last week it was ten, it, things just start to really break down quickly. And so I think it's just that understanding what is possible uh, along the journey and understanding that if you've got the right setup and software and systems, um, I mean, that's a huge part of that Fordrox story, that company I referenced earlier, they knew that they were going to explode with growth. They were a high growth startup. They'd taken a lot of funding and so on. And it, it wasn't, it didn't happen the, the first day that they came to us, but they knew it would happen over the next 12 to 18 months. And so they prepared. And then when they got under heavy growth, they were still a training team of four or five. They're, in fact, they're still a training team of four or five individuals today, but they've got the infrastructure in place. And so that growth was, although it was very challenging, they were worried about problems of growth, not problems of scale. And, and that for me is, is the main thing to keep in mind. You know, you, you show up at a, a new role or you've been in a role, are you going to grow? And if that starts to happen, what, why is it happening and how are you going to scale? What would you say 
I'm going to ask two similar questions. The first one is um, when you go in to see your clients for the first time, what would you say the most common mistake that they make or have been making would be? So, I mean, mistake, I, I chafe a little bit almost at that because I, I deeply <laughs> empathize with with uh, folks who are struggling with the with these challenges. You know, uh, my mother was a teacher, as I, as I referenced. My father actually ran a training company, and I used to make money teaching uh, English out in Asia. And I was in and out of training centers all the time, right? And so I just, I, I kind of have really seen how these administrative challenges are, are tough to solve. And there's not a lot of software out there that, that is designed to help solve these problems. So, but I, I, what I would say is one of the main uh, problems is training teams and L&D teams just don't know that there, that there could be a better way, uh, that there could be software and infrastructure that has really deeply kept them in mind and is built to solve these logistical challenges. And so they're, they're, they're not even looking and I, and I get it. Like I've been to, I've been to almost every major L and D tech conference and trade show and whatnot. And there's just a dearth of these things, but I liken it back to maybe what marketing teams were feeling like in kind of the late nineties, early two thousands, there was just no marketing software out there at all. And, you know, you had mm -hmm. folks that were trying to like figure out display ads and, you know, all this type of stuff and fast forward to now. And I, I joke with uh, our marketing team that they've never found a problem that a new marketing tool wouldn't solve. Right. It's just like <laughs> this huge ecosystem and they have platforms and they're thinking deeply about data and, you know, half the people on our marketing team are learning SQL and all this stuff. And, and that's kind of the transformation that I think L and D needs to go down. And so what happens is when we talk to to customers or prospects, you just wouldn't believe the 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 amount of training teams and resources and time and the huge companies that are running their entire operation or at least a huge you know multi million dollar piece of their operation off of spreadsheets, and uh, and that that's probably the number one thing we we joke that our number mm -hmm. one competitor is Microsoft because they make Excel right and. <laughs> And so, you know, these spreadsheets of doom exist and, uh, that tends to be the most common thing that is like a really easy problem to solve right out of the bat. Yeah. Earlier you said uh, a spreadsheet is born and I immediately thought of, um, that 1916, um, poem by Yeats Easter, a terrible beauty is born, <laughs> you know, um, which is probably one of my favorite lines, but it's also, you know, that's always the solution, isn't it? Let's make another spreadsheet. I mean, there were, you know, when I started this job, I could fit all the spreadsheets I needed on the tab at the top of my, uh, either at the top of my folder or at the top of my, uh, my browser. And now it's like, no, I have like lists and lists of them. It's endless. Yeah. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and the insidious thing is now it's like, oh, well, the, the next evolution in spreadsheet is a, is a shared spreadsheet, you know, this the, a Google yeah. doc. Right. And it's like, okay, that is an improvement in collaboration. I can now store even more uh, data that might be wrong in there, but it's then how do you query it back? And that, and that's where it just all starts to fall down badly. My, uh, my other question that was related was, have you ever come into either a new client or somebody that's been using your software and they 
pleasantly surprise you? Like they were doing something so right and you're like, oh, I never thought of that before or that they used your software in a way that was really uh, illustrative to you? Oh, all the time. I mean, well, that Boston Whaler example is probably uh, one of the better ones. Right. I mean, we didn't come up with that, right? And we didn't come up with this idea of sharing the renewals data that Fordrock, you know, had or the training data with the renewals team. Uh, that to me is evidence that it's working. We we talk about, you know, kind of this progression that customers or prospects will go through. Uh, and that is, you know, kind of the first, it's, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, you know, bottom of the pyramid is things like water and food and the very top of the mm. pyramid is like, you know, where the hell is my free Wi-Fi? You know, uh, <laughs> these first world problems or, you know, my, my cappuccino is not, was not warm enough or whatever. Um, and for, for us, <laughs> what we see customers doing is they'll, they'll start at this bottom base level, which is let's just get everything organized. Let's get everything, you know, put into a system. And then the second thing that they do is they start integrating more and more systems. And once they have done that, now they can actually start to analyze what is happening because they can get for the first time, get this holistic view. And that's where these very creative problem solving exercises and activities start to take place. Um, and the, you know, the story that we tend to tell, or, you know, I love basketball. And so the story that I usually refer to with basketball is the, is the money ball edition of basketball. And that's a player called Shane Battier who played for, for Duke, which is a, a team that I hate. I've got to be honest, but um, <laughs> this guy was, was a great player uh, caused, caused my team a lot of uh, heartache. And you know, the, what, what happened was the Rockets had signed two valuable players they were approaching the salary cap and they were trying to find, you know, how can we find a player that's undervalued in the NBA that can complement these, these other two stars. And, you know, they started looking around and actually doing some deeper analytics you know, beyond just the stat lines. And what they found was that whenever Shane Battier, who is kind of this average NBA player is excellent in college, which is kind of average NBA player. Whenever he was on the team, whenever he's on a team, they would just start winning. And huh. they couldn't actually point if you if you actually go and look up his stats, they're awful. I mean, they're they're just not good. <laughs> He's not a great shooter. He's not a great uh, you know rebounder. Like all of the stats that they track in, in basketball, he's just not very good. But somehow he would get on a team, and that team would start to win. And so they signed him, and oh, they had a, an amazing season. And I think that is kind of the metaphor or the the type of thing that we want to see within training. And it goes back to that, you know, most of us look at uh, evaluations, right, to see how well the, the, the training performed or how, how well people liked it. And and really, you know, we've seen instances where you have instructors or classes that are rated poorly by students. But if you then bring in the additional metrics of, okay, well, then how did the uh, attendees or the, the trainees do on the goal that you're training them for, you know, once you bring in that data, you know, how did they perform their job or did they achieve whatever it is they were trying to do? Actually the, the, the courses that were, or the instructors that were being rated poorly had much better results. And so it turns out that actually the students just didn't like being pushed quite as much. 
And, <laughs> you know, that that's the type of thing that we start to look for. And that's what the type of thing that customers very, very quickly start coming up with because they know what to, they know the questions to ask. They just have been prevented from doing so. Yeah. It's a very, that's very interesting. I like the idea of trying to find those qualities that aren't represented elsewhere. I mean, I'm not much of a sports guy, but we did used to have a, a football pool and, um, you know, I started putting together these sheets myself. I spent an insane amount of time tracking stats. And, you know, finally, I, what I realized was it was an important learning moment for me was the the value of whether they'd been winning or not. Mm. I added that into my sheet as to like how many what's their streak. And I'm sure other people think of that stuff, too. But for me, this was a novel, a novel idea. And, and I did really well. Second place, you know, because it's that momentum you can't necessarily track it overtly, but it's a, it's one of those qualities that plays a huge role in how people do when they feel invincible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, Shane Batty is such a fascinating player because he's the only player in NBA history to have ever been part of two 20 plus game winning streaks. And huh. if you think about that, like that, that is just, I, I'll bet we could pull, you know, endless sports figure people are really knowledgeable and that would not be in the top five names that they would come up with and and yet it's this thing where you know, so, so it breeds consistency when you have access to analytics because all of a sudden now you can you know start applying them and he's also uh very famous for this one instance where because so he obviously he was curious and it comes to this organization, this, this culture of deeper analytics, you know, why am I even here? You know, probably was one of the first questions that may have been asked and they explained <laughs> to him, well, here's our analysis of why you're here. And, and so then he starts asking for this data and he starts getting a feed from the analytics team before every game. And he realized that the guy he was supposed to be guarding in one game was on a different rotation and actually was not starting that particular game. And so Shane Battier goes to the coach of the Rockets and says, will you please not start me tonight so that my minutes can match up with the guy that I've been matched to, to defend against minutes. And, and so it, you know, that just, the coach was quoted as saying that just never happens. Like people are saying, please don't start me, you know, because <laughs> I've, I've read this analysis, this, but that, that kind of democratization or that access to analytics uh, moves it out of just this, you know, white tower, uh, you know, maybe situation that might exist. You know, we speak to a lot of high level people at large organizations and say, oh yeah, I've got all the data I need. Right. But that's because there's teams that are worrying away in the background, mm -hmm. <laughs> coalescing all these spreadsheets, you know, and they're, they're the only ones. And then, you know, if, if you don't want to ask the questions that your boss is asking, well, you're just not going to, get the answers. And so if, if the entire team or the broader organization can have access to this analytics, now you've got this culture of being able to dive in there and solve problems and it becomes super powerful at, at all different levels. Well, John, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for having us. Our pleasure. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions, thoughts, and concerns, or if you just want to say hi. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.